Hello and welcome back to the Couch Team Podcast. My name is Ryan Parker and I'm joined as always by Matt. The Celtics didn't win the 2022 NBA Championship, Chamberlain. How you doing, Matt? Well, um, I've been better. I was yeah. I don't have a tattoo commemorating the Almost Championship. Uh, but, you know, seen better days. Hey, you know, it's a... Uh, you know, you made it to the finals. There, there's lots of good things we'll talk about, about this Celtics run. Um, but, you know, I I will say this. You're not the first team to lose to the Warriors. You might not <laughs> be the last. So That is a true statement. There is that. Uh, before we get too much further into episode 141, let me remind everyone listening to follow us on social media. You can find us by searching for Couch GM Podcast. And if you haven't yet, follow us and give us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, um, Amazon, any, any podcast platform. Just find us there and give us a rating and follow us there. Um, Matt, if people missed episode 140, we talked about finals and potential uh, draft day trades. Um, it was a little fun, fun, fun podcast there. Um, you were also not thrilled with the Celtics' performance after that that finals game five, yeah, uh, but you know such is life. In NBA news, um, if you haven't seen this, the Rockets traded Christian Wood because their season ended ten years ago, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they sent Christian Wood to Dallas for pick number twenty six in this draft. Uh, Boban, Trey Burke, Sterling Brown, and Marquise Chris. So the Rockets traded Kristen Wood for pick number 26. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't – I mean, we can stop and talk about this trade a little bit. I don't – what what are the Rockets doing exactly? Like, I, I know this, like, we've kind of texted about it. It's maybe a culture thing because, you know, there was that game or two games where Christian Wood kind of just quit on the team. Um, two games? You, you mean 50 games? Uh- <laughs> So, I mean, like, I don't know. I just don't know what, like, what the Rockets are doing. I feel like you could get up more for Christian Wood at 26. Um, I don't. I really don't. You don't think the Sacramento would have, like, taken a chance? I mean, I guess you have Spona, so probably not. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, like, maybe this is a fair trade. The Dallas emptying out, they're, like, 12 through, I don't know. 10 through 14. Like they didn't really give up anything in this trade outside of this year's pick. Um, so I think it's a really good deal for them. Take a swing on another big man to pair next Luca. They have, a, I guess, a lob threat, someone else out of the, the big spot that can help Luca here. Um, I mean, any, any other thoughts on this trade, Matt? Yeah. I'll, I will say one thing rockets and then one thing um, Mavs, if I'm the rockets, I would have, instead of vying for a third first-round pick this year, because they already own number three and number 17, you know, I'm just not a fan of bringing in three rookies into your team for, like, a season. It just never works out, um, as we saw last year in Houston. I would have more, if I'm trying to trade Christian Wood, which I think was a good idea, um, trying to get maybe, like, just a lottery or top 20 protected first next year, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um 
just for the sake of spreading out when these draft assets are actually joining your team. Um, maybe that's just not something they were able to find. Uh, I would like to think they could have though, especially if it's top 20 protected. You feel like you could have found someone to do that deal. Um, and then Dallas, I don't know, Ryan, did, if we changed Christian Wood's name to Kristaps Porzingis, can we not just say we've already seen this experiment once? I mean, to be fair, Christian Wood, we think that, I mean, this is the whole thing about the trade. We've talked about this for, I don't know, a year and a half. Like Christian Wood looked great in, in Detroit for like that last half of that season. And then he came to Houston and it's been a freaking mess ever since. So like our question still is, is Christian Wood a good player? And we haven't really answered that question yet. And I think we're going to be able to with this Dallas team. I think it makes sense. Like the Dallas has always been searching for that big man, right? Like they've, they've had Chris Tops, They've had DeAndre Jordan. They've had Dwight Powell and um, Maxi Kleber, you know? And so there's, I, I don't know. I mean, like you, I, I like this move for Dallas, I think just because you're not giving up a ton. And I mean, by the trade deadline, if it doesn't really work with Christian Wood, couldn't you at least recoup half this trade at least? And I think that is something worth noting is since Dallas, I mean, you're not playing whoever you pick at 26, probably anyway, to be honest. Right. Um, and Dallas, not the greatest drafting team, unless it's Luka Doncic. So I I get for them, they, they are effectively saying, we have five players, we don't play them. Here you go for Christian Wood. And you're right. Like if it doesn't work, it's probably not a big deal. So from that perspective, like it probably is a better trade on Dallas's end than Houston's. But I think one thing that I've always come back to with Christian Wood is like, I remember like an interview he gave one time and it was basically like all he dating back to like his Philly days. He was saying like, they didn't understand. Like I was good. And, like, they just didn't see it. And it's like, mm. he still doesn't play defense. Like, he doesn't play a lick of defense. Even the good season in Detroit doesn't play any defense, Ryan. Yeah. He doesn't pass. He can kind of create off the dribble for himself a little bit. He's honestly better in the post and didn't catch and shoot threes. So, I, I'm not, like – certain that come playoff time which is ultimately what dallas is going for here right is get talent for right. when the playoffs come around i'm not certain that he's not going to get picked on in the playoffs mm. so played off the floor sure like what's gonna make him significantly different than like davis bertans you know yeah he i mean that... be, like for the regular season he's gonna be better like i know that but yeah when it matters, it, it uh, definitely gives. I mean, Dallas some versatility, you know, it, to some extent. So, you, I mean, you figure you're gonna have to probably play through AD. You might have to play like Carl Anthony Towns. Can he do like a great job on any of those like really good bigs? No, probably not. I think you're right there. Um, but like, I don't know. It gives you some versatility and maybe expose like some of those backup bigs. Like the backup bigs in the league are just kind of so-so right now. And maybe that's 
where Dallas feels like they can take advantage of non-Luka minutes is when they have someone who can run something else like out of the post. I mean, it can't be just Jalen Brunson, right? We, we know that. Um, so maybe this is like a splitting the difference. We can get someone for cheap. He's only, so I didn't realize this next year he's up on his contract. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's yeah. only owed 14.3 million. So really this is an expiring contract that you could move again at the trade deadline if stuff isn't working out. So, I mean, it's a pretty low risk deal for Dallas. Yeah. And I think that's probably the best, you know, put a bow on this. It's low risk. If it works, it's great. If it doesn't work, you know, not that. It's $14 million towards another contract. Yeah. Like, so. Yeah. 100%. But the um, other piece of news was interesting to me also. Yes. The last piece of news here we'll touch on is Kenny Atkinson is not going to be the next ho- coach and head coach in Charlotte. It's a weird news story. We got the notification this afternoon. I've never seen this play out before where a coach has a accepted role and then come back and said, no. So what, like what, what in the world is going on? Like Charlotte, has one of the best young prospects you'd think in LaMelo ball. And like, they can't find a coach. Like what kind of red flags is this going on in Charlotte? So obviously the big rumor is there's something up with golden state. They're promising him something. Maybe the Steve Kerr job once Kerr decides to hang it up, whenever that is might be accurate. Mm. Maybe it's just, He's like, I, I don't want to leave this. This is like the best work environment. And, you know, like I'm sure normal people with normal jobs have this same problem, you know, like I really like the company I'm at. It doesn't make quite as much as like a different job I could take or I don't quite. Doesn't have, have the responsibilities of like being the person, yeah, like a but manager. Like, but they're like, I love my job. I love where I work. I love where I live. I don't want to move my family. So like I'll make $20,000 less per year to stay here doing what I'm doing. And like, you know, and some people would be like, yeah, okay, I get it. Then you're choosing the pros of all the other stuff rather than the promotion and the, you know, pay raise. Right. So like thinking about it in that perspective, I guess it's not the weirdest thing ever. I know like we were talking off air. There's only 30 of these jobs. I mean, they come up not all the time, but I mean, there was like what for not that often. Yeah. Like four or five maybe available this, this off season. Right. Like there's not usually you're only in like a strong consideration for maybe like two of them. Right. Right. So like why I, I just have so many questions. Like did, did the championship change this? I mean, that's a very, um, has Kenny Atkinson ever won a championship? I mean, not off the top of my head, but I just like, like I know his biography. You know? <laughs> I mean, maybe the Brooklyn thing just left such a bad taste in his mouth because, like, to be fair, he did a really good job in Brooklyn, yeah. and it just didn't work out. Um, so I don't know. I mean, he was an assistant, so he left. No, I don't think he's won a championship. Um, and I mean, I'm sure there's a feeling of like, what if I go do the same thing in Charlotte that I did in Brooklyn? And then in four years, they're like, hey, we're going to let you go. Right. And we're going to bring in 
at, the, at that point than Mike D'Antoni or wherever. Right. You know. Right. Right. I mean, at, maybe he looks around and is like, wait, James Perico did like a pretty good job with this team. And like he got fired after increasing their wins. Like, what are my yeah. expectations here? And are they just like so unrealistic that no matter what, I'm not going to be able to hit them? I mean, I, all that stuff's fair questions. And I think your point is really good in that, like, if you are comfortable at a spot that, you know, like you're still making, like it is an NBA assistant coach. You're still making a lot of money. It's not like you're making jump yeah. change. And I don't know, maybe you feel good about the Warriors chances of repeating and you kind of re see, you know, see what's available next off season. See if there's like a better opportunity. I, th- I honestly think that the Greg Popovich thing still being questioned not that if he's going to retire or whatever, if he has like one more season, are a lot of these coaches just going to wait because that's going to be such a tidal wave event in coaching? Is that going to yeah. create this huge coaching carousel? Yeah. I honestly wouldn't even be shocked if he's like, you know what? New York guy from New York. Mm. Who, who knows? He's former Knicks assistant coach. Who knows how much longer Tibbs has there? Yeah, right. Honest. So maybe next offseason, yeah, it's a Tibbs job that opens up and go take over the Knicks. Like, I don't know if that's a dream of his. And maybe that's then going to be a good way to, you know, give the middle finger back to the Knicks. <laughs> beat them somehow. Yeah, beat them. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's super interesting. I, I don't know. I, I, I've never seen this before. I've never heard of it. But, I mean – Good for Kenny Atkinson if he's happy where he is. Yeah, for real. Um, okay. Yep. Moving into topic number one, we gotta do it, Matt. Yeah, let's talk. Let's the mandate off. Let's talk about the finals. Let's do it. So the, well, the finals wrapped up this past week. Steph and the Warriors beat the Celtics in Boston, one hundred three ninety in Game Six uh, to win the series four to two. Um, and let's start there. Let's not start on the Celtics quite yet. Let's start with the Warriors, Matt. What are, what are your first takeaways from the series, and how do you how are you processing this uh, post Boston losing? Aside from complete and utter sadness, um, I think the difficult part of this for me is like outside of the NBA Finals, I love watching like this iteration of the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like because Steph Curry is a great player. A great player in the league today, a great player in the league historically. I don't not here to do the full where does he rank conversation or does what kind of seat at the table or rushmore or anything like that. All I know is I've watched this dude for 10 plus years now and he kills everybody. <laughs> Yes, and there's and and obviously like the complete opposite way but like Giannis there's just an inevitability about Mm. I know I've talked about this before and there is nothing Boston could do yeah like you just have to pray he's gonna go like 0 for 7 from 3 like he did in game 5 yeah and they still won yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's all you can do you, you put a hand up, you kind of fight through screens, you 
you know, don't lose him on the assignments and on the, on the off ball screens and you just pray it works out. And some days it will. And most days it won't. And game six was just another day where it, you had no chance. Honest to God, the first quarter when he had the transition three, like in the corner, like coming off like the little ran through it, came back through, looped up to the corner. I was just like, all right, it's done. Like if he's doing this, I don't care how good of a start Jalen and Jason are going to have. This is going to happen. Like it just, it was inevitable to me. I think this is the best version of stuff we've seen. Like, I know he's kind of like maybe past his prime a little bit, but like the way he like bulked up like last off season. Right. And he's a little bit bigger. You can tell by all the, you know, sure. different, different pictures and stuff. Um, and the way he just like slips around those screens that Looney and Draymond and Wiggins were setting, like the way he gets his like shoulders around those guys and gives like no space for any, anyone to follow him. It's just incredible, man. And like his, I think the most ridiculous three that he hit in the series was the one on the NBA finals logo in Boston game six, the like 32 footer one yeah. and, and the timeout to make it like 72, I think, 60 or 59 maybe um and he just like you said he just kept coming like he didn't quit and it it it's the most terrifying thing because i've experienced it matt it's the most (laughs) terrifying thing every time golden state comes down and he has the ball in his hands there is no like second of like oh my God, okay, he doesn't have the ball. It's not like James Harden where it's like, okay, he doesn't have the ball. Like, we're okay at this possession. Yeah. Because he's just, he's like a freaking, he's Jaws. He's like Jaws. He's that shark that keeps just freaking swimming around and then he pops up and will freaking destroy your whole defense. It, it's just insane. Well, I think, again, mixing the talk of the teams here, like Boston had, had, has a great defense. And he just... He broke it. it. Matter. Yeah, he broke it. You know, it's like cool. Switch this guy on me, that guy on me. Try this guy. Try that guy. Like, I'm gonna either take the three or Hezzy blow by you and finish. It felt like everything. That's another thing that I don't feel like has been discussed nearly enough. His two point plays throughout the series. Like he's finishing through contact. You know, all the floaters are automatic. Like he's. I swear he's never missed a floater in his life. Like the, you know, then the, you know, stab, drag, pull it back for a little, you know, free throw line jump shots, you know, money or being able to pass out of literally anything. Like whether he's driving and kicking, whether it's a double team blitz off the, you know, the screen and he's just hitting the drag on free throw line or whatever it is. There was no way. And we've talked about this like previous years, like last postseason, like Jokic. It's like you can't run a double at him, but you can't single cover him, and you can't put size on him, but you can't put a small guy on him. Like there's just nothing you can do. Like you just felt unguardable. And obviously, Jokic does it in a completely different way. Giannis does it in a completely different way. You just have to seriously pray that he gets tired, or pray that just for whatever reason just doesn't go in. Right. That's the only way you're stopping him. But with Steph, he's such in great condition. He basketball IQ, again, something not really talked about with him, knows every right play 
Yeah. And makes it every time, almost to a fault. And then if you ever do to give him the opportunity for him to do it himself, it, it's automatic. Mm-hmm. And as much as I love my team, there was just never, it felt like an easy bucket with Boston. Steph's, like don't get me wrong, some of them are outrageously contested jump shots. But every shot is a light flick of the wrist. Every finish is just like, yep, this is going up. This floater, it's going in. Every pass he makes, it was like, gosh, dang it. That, that was just a killer pass. That was, that was the perfect play. And, like, he's obviously working so hard, but the game felt so easy to him. And the, it never felt easy for Boston, especially the last two, day, two games. It never yeah. felt easy for Boston. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's, like, in those – he has such a sense of the moment. And, you know, in game four, I think we can go back to that. The 40, whatever, 43 points, whatever he finished with, like he knew going back, like they, they would have had a chance, obviously down three, one series isn't over necessarily, but he knew like going back to golden state, going back to San Francisco tied two two is a totally different feeling. And he just rose to the occasion there and really righted the ship. And anytime, like to your point, like anytime the Warriors needed an easy bucket or needed something, the ball found him. He he was like, all right, we're going to get something easy here. We're going to, you know, I'm going to get in pick and roll. I'm going to abuse Al Horford drop coveraging for the uh, thousandth time in the series. And, or I'm just going to switch Al Horford or Rob Williams. And I'm going to try to blow by him, kick out to a corner, you know, whatever it is. And it's not like the cast was playing super great. They had people show up when they needed to, but it was so much stuff. Like there's so much gravity with stuff that it's just almost impossible to, to, like you said, it's almost impossible to guard him. Like, what do you do? Like, cause when you blitz him, he's such an excellent passer, such a willing passer that, I mean, it, it, the ball finds an open shot with golden state. And yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, it was incredible. Like if you think back to it, like a week ago, it was Boston up two one, you know, and we were talking yeah. about a different type of series, and Steph obviously changed that. So yeah, games four and six really, even five. Like I know he didn't shoot well in game five, but these last three games, it was all about him though. Right, yeah. right. That's why he was the Finals MVP, deservedly so. Yeah. Um, I will say just another note I had here was like. I feel like the Warriors were a head and shoulders better team than Boston, especially like these mm. last couple games. Maybe, maybe it's just a step factor, but, but there's also like this weird thing. Like, it's not like they were dropping 120 points on the Celtics either. Right. You know? Right. Boston, like it really wasn't their defense. That was a problem. Like, yeah, the Warriors offense, like got what they wanted. It felt like a lot. But, like, if you're only giving up 100 points, like, I mean, that's what Boston has been doing all year, right? Like, it's been incredible still. And yeah. it was really something, maybe it's just the Boston, Boston offense just fell apart or, you know, was gassed or whatever. But the Warriors defense did a good job too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like they, yeah, it never felt like they lost Tatum and Brown. Never felt like they were just going to, give Marcus and you know after game one out like just easy catch and shoot looks 
like they're at least gonna like give them a good contest like the Warriors defense as much as that's not what they're gonna be you know known for especially like on Twitter and stuff it was good and it held Boston to you know 90-ish points it felt like just you know back half this you know every game of the series and if you're Boston like you're just not you're not gonna win this win a game you're definitely not going to win a series, you know, score 90, 94 points, you know, the final each three games. So just something I thought was worth noting there. Yeah, it definitely felt like, you know, the, I guess we kind of break it down. Like the, the other guys for Boston just weren't really up to the task quite yet. Um, But like the other guys for the Warriors were prepared for this, like, great. Like Wiggins, Dre, I mean, Draymond Poole. Um, Looney. Looney. Yeah, I mean, felt like every time the Warriors needed a huge rebound, Looney was coming up with the ball. Um, I I mean, even Gary Payton, you yeah. know, the third, second, whatever it is. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, like, he was hitting big shots. He was making some uh, crucial defensive, defensive plays. You know, whether it was picking someone's pocket, um, just making a hustle play, it just felt like those guys had a bigger sense of the moment and understanding that, you know, that what was that on on the line. And I think that just comes with experience in the league. Like, really, like, Poole is the only one who's the youngest of that group. I'm sure if Wiseman was playing, it would be a little bit more apparent with the Warriors. But, like, Boston's still a young team. Um but I, I just think it was, you know, a very good veteran group in the Warriors. And it was kind of, I mean, it's kind of insane. They were, what, 18-2 and two to start the season. And then they had some mm-hmm. injuries and ended up as the three. And I, it felt like a sleeping giant all year, um, you know. But they put it together and what it mattered most. Yeah. Yeah, so just the last couple of things I had on Gold State is I wrote down, like, it didn't feel like anyone they put out on the floor felt scared right whereas with boston and that cannot be said like even like the b elites of minutes you know throughout the series like he's like yeah i'll go guard iso jason tatum yeah like no problem <laughs> like <laughs> you know um not saying it was great the entire time he was out there but it just it it's like the team had so much confidence and maybe that's just like yeah we have steph curry so like, right. Right. we just have to at least try and give a great effort, and it'll probably work out for us. Uh, and then, in particular, like you mentioned a lot of these names, but I feel like Wiggins, Draymond, and Poole in particular really needed like a, a specific shout out. Like Wiggins definitely re- reestablished himself in the league. Uh, I'm not saying he's a top twenty guy, obviously, but like. He he's kind of a put put my name put some respect on it you know yeah back on the right. back. Uh, Draymond less so in that sense more so in the like all time great sense he's like all right like you can't deny this anymore like there was no KD for being honest Clay was not good right the entire series so like Draymond was was a guy and then Poole more so in the Wiggins vein of like. And he said it after the game. We're gonna get a bag. <laughs> a lot of money. I, I mean, we're gonna get paid a lot of money, Ryan. I mean, 
it's only up from here for Jordan Poole. I mean, I was really impressed. Guy. Yeah, I mean, he might be the best version of like Jordan Clarkson there ever will be in the league. Jamerson, um, yeah, all just those. and you know it. He just bridged the gap quite a bit for them in the series. Like whenever those like buzzer beating quarter, you know, He's... quarter ending shots were just so backbreaking. Um, especially when it's someone not named Steph Curry. Like if it's Steph, you would expect that, but coming from like Jordan Poole or anybody else, it's like, oh my god, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, those are like the avalanche plays. Right, it's coming. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's so. let's do it. It's time. Let's talk about your Celtics, Matt. <laughs> um, okay. Positive um, from the game. I felt like Brown was good. Attacking. Mm-hmm. Horford finally had a bounce back game, and I felt like Rob Williams was good. Uh, the post up offense they were running in the first quarter was mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, like I was like, okay, cool little wrinkle here. Definitely felt gimmicky. I was like, this is we can't do this for four quarters though. And once we had to stop doing it, it felt like we had no answer. Um, I just. And this is well beyond Tatum, but like there was just nothing we could do on the ball. It felt like to get what we wanted. Mm. Um, I know it's been talked about on various podcasts before, like Boston consistently not getting into a half court set until like 14 seconds left on the shot clock, not having more than like one or two guys on the court ever that can like break down a defense not honestly having one more than one or two guy on the court at all times that can actually pass just like it's a recipe for disaster you know and i mentioned our last pod like horford needs to get some touches like i like it first play of the game went al horford duck in against the clay thompson switch drew a foul cool and then it's like but we have to find ways to make everyone feel more impactful for Boston. Like in the way like Golden State, like every five, you know, man, you know, rotation they put out there felt impactful. And Boston, like it just never felt like more than like two or three guys out on the court were impactful at a time these last couple of games. Yeah. It felt, I mean, by the end of game six, like it felt so far from when the role players were good in game one right like yeah. Derek White looked like oh my god Derek White here we go and it was Al Horford and you know like an awesome avalanche from Boston and you thought Boston had a really good chance walking away from game one to win the series um, and I think you hit the nail on the head there's like the the ball creation it relied so much on Tatum Brown and Smart but like at the end of the day someone else has to be able to do it too right like with golden state it's not just stuff like the ball starts with draymond sometimes clay wiggins even pool you know and they have guys they can go to and it just that was never the case with boston um and like the guys they could play in the series shrunk very quickly (laughs) just because of like how steph like how you have to guard steph curry yeah well, it's like guys that we've relied on all year, too. It's like if you're not going to be able to step up in the playoffs, 
Like it's just a backbreaker. You know, it's like it's one thing to bench Daniel Tice. Like that's fine, right? right. Like that's just natural playoff stuff. But like we're borderline having to bench also Pritchard and Grant Williams. That's when it's just like okay, like we barely have enough guys to like feel the team right now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like there's a reason Tatum's playing 44 minutes. Yeah, and it's like I don't know. Um, I want to focus on a couple guys before I get to Tatum. Let's start with Grant Williams. Mm. Ryan, how many threes did Grant Williams take in six games of the NBA Finals? I mean, I watched all of the games. It felt like under 20, so I'll say like 15. He took 10. Ryan, how many threes – do you remember this? How many threes did he take in game seven against Milwaukee? I mean, he took a ton, right? Like, it was 18. at least 10. Huh? He took 18. Oh, my gosh. one game. <laughs> like, and he took 10 playing 17 minutes a game in the NBA Finals. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not that I wanted Grant Williams to chuck it every time he touched it. He didn't want to shoot, Ryan. Like, straight up. He took 17 shots total in the series. Yeah. Ten of them from three. Like, it, if you're going to take two to three shots a game and play that many minutes and honestly be as important as you are, you, you don't want to be out there. Right. You, you're here to shoot. And he was. Like, he, he wasn't looking for a shot, but he's also not a playmaker. He's not a passer. He, he, he served us no good in his minutes out there. And defensively, he definitely felt like he was manipulated by mm. Draymond and all yep. the other guys, you know. Like they they were in his head because this is what he does. He just he talks so much, he tries to do all that kind of stuff, and it's not really his game, to be honest. And it like bit him in the butt. It's really mm. bad. Right. You know, uh Marcus really, like, you look at his stats, not that bad. Average 15, um, five, and four and a half over the six games. Shot 41% from the field, 39% from three. Like, pretty good. But I, it felt like he was – you know, just ridiculously up and down. You look at like the games, yeah. seven for 11 game one, one for six in game two, eight for mm-hmm. 17 in game three, seven for 18 game four, seven for 15, four for 12. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if he's just going to chuck it that much, then on the opposite end and just be ridiculously inefficient, like three of those six games, he shot under 40% from the field. Like that's, that's bad. Like it is it's hard to be like this is what we've talked about forever with Boston like you're worthy of getting the kick out from Tatum you know like because it, it, it's not going to result in anything better right and basically just forcing a contested shot I mean the nine assists you know the other night in game six were cool it's great um, but I don't know. And he never felt trustworthy. And I think that's, it's obviously been the problem we've talked about all year in Boston. Like we need someone to run our offense that we trust 
that would get us exactly what we need to get at mm. the time. As much as I love Marcus, that's just not what he does. He does a ton of other things well. And I don't want him to not be on the team. But I just don't want him to be like the point guard either. Yeah, that definitely reared its head during this series, like you're saying. Um, and there were some moments that looked really good. And then there were other moments like, can we not like take five dribbles and shoot 16 into the shot clock on a contested three? It, it's tough. Uh, um, I just, at the end of the day, and this is a kind of a theme throughout the team, like just decision-making mm. when to do what and where and how, like, since the moment, right? Like that's yeah, that's the thing. No sense of it. Like you know, when Chris Paul, like you know, for the Suns would get a foul, um, like kind of get to the free throw line. There's no one who really did that for Boston at any point during the series. Brown probably did it the best, but yeah. uh, and he he had his moments where he wasn't very good. But for the most series, yeah, he was he was very good. Yeah. Um. White, Pritchard, again, just didn't feel like they could hit a shot ever. And defensively, they competed. They just – it didn't feel impactful, though. I don't have too much to say on them. Um, let's just do the Tatum thing. I'm I'm obviously going to be incredibly optimistic still for Jason Tatum long-term. Games five and six, tough. Um, bad watch, I would say for sure. Bet. I mean, I get why the, the criticism is coming his way. It totally makes sense. Bad game six. Bad, you know, last game at home of the season. But, like, we were texting, you know, pre-pod. Like, that man's last 24 months have been wildly insane. He's been, you know, first in minutes in the playoffs – first in points, first in assists. Like, we've seen him been grabbing at his shoulder all playoffs, and it's just never gotten better, and felt like. And as we were saying the last couple of points, it just didn't feel like there's anyone else besides sometimes Brown to, like, take any load off of him. And when you're playing the Golden State Warriors, like, we've seen it's taken superhuman LeBron James to – even have a chance at beating them. And yeah. Not that, which is fine because there's literally no one else like that. But I get the criticism, but I also more so get the optimism for moving forward. Yeah. Here's, we mentioned that 24 month list. Are you ready for this, Matt? I'm just going to hit through this really quick. The last 24 months for Tatum, a bubble plus, uh, uh, playoff runs at the Eastern Conference Finals all over a shortened, shortened stretch. Straight into a shortened season, bunch of games very quickly. Uh, playoffs, and I think they played in the play-in, right, last year? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they played in the play-in, and then a first-round exit to Brooklyn. And then immediately to Team USA and the Olympics, another shortened off-season, a regular season that's back to normal. Uh, I think he was top 10 in like regular season minutes and then a finals run um, over the last six, eight weeks. Right. Yeah. 10 weeks. 
don't know about you, but I get tired looking at that list for myself. And I know he has a bunch of training staff and all the things, but that's, I mean, I, that's a lot of games and 24 months and that's not a normal load. And I think, you know, for him, like he still has growth. You've heard this talked about on a lot of other podcasts, but like, you know, it took LeBron and Jordan and Steph to, it took them until 27, 28 to win, you know, at a significant level. And yeah. Tatum is, you know, jokingly 19 still, but <laughs> uh, he's 23, you know, going to turn 24. And it's not like I, this is a great like rep experience for him. Like, would you have loved to win the finals? Absolutely. Yeah. Is he going to be back? Absolutely. And I think there's still a lot of optimism for the Celtics team. Like you said, there's a lot of good stuff to come out of the series. Is it disappointing to watch Tatum not step up and, you know, take advantage of a great opportunity? What felt like a great opportunity to win a championship? Sure. I, I, I see that. But as someone who experienced this, Matt, your team can get back there. I see it. Will it happen? I don't know. Who knows? You still have, like you said, Giannis is inevitable. Is this Warriors team going away? Probably not anytime soon. You have Brooklyn coming back. You just have randomness of an NBA season. I I like the chances, and Tatum's only getting better. So I there's another chance at an NBA Finals run somewhere. I think everyone just wanted the, you know, like the 46 point game he dropped on game six in Milwaukee. Yeah. Or the, you know, the 26 point closeout game against Miami. Right. Like we are all like, that's what everyone wanted was like, just like the killer efficient, hey. like I'm better than you game. And for the, honestly, like the first time when they fully needed it, it didn't happen. Mm. Which like, there's a reason though he's held to a standards because he is a truly great player. Like, right. I, again, I don't want to parse through like, is he a star? Is he a superstar? Like, I don't care, but like, you're good enough to be relied on to like do it. So that right. puts you in like a top tier of NBA player. So like, you're right. Like he, in theory, his prime is still the next like eight years, you know? And, if you're Boston, you think, okay, I got eight more great years of Jason Tatum as he is now and or better, you know, granted injuries, life, all that happens, but like makes you think this can work. And yeah. probably not probably will work. There's, there's a decent chance. There's a better chance than most teams have at yeah. making to win NBA finals. The whole like Brown Tatum thing. I think that's been squashed. I think you yeah, can confidently move on from that and start like building this team um, to be another championship contender. And there's, there's a lot there and I, there's a lot to like about this team there. I mean, they're still going to be really good defensively and that puts them in the top like five or six contenders in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Ime Udoka, he ain't going anywhere. That's yeah. There's sure. a, that I mean, that's the other thing is Udoka is a rookie coach, and yeah. like you know, Kerr kind of, I think he he coached a better series toward the back half, and Udoka is going to learn from that. Yeah, and again, now you go into an off season 
knowing like, okay, these are things we need to work on throughout the season or, you know, whatever. Continuity with the roster for sure. That point again, like we're, we're better prepared. Right. 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 Looking forward to it. Honestly, I am. Am I disappointed? Yes, I am. No one likes losing, particularly in the NBA finals, but there is something to be said about getting to the NBA finals, having a, you know, young 20s superstar lead you there and being a you know competently run franchise so all all signs point in the right direction wish it would have pointed to a banner this year but we'll get there ryan we'll get there it'll be closer uh so matt moving on from the finals and your sorrow disappointment Let's talk some draft. The draft is next week, next Thursday, the 23rd, June 23rd. It's quick. We're here. Yeah, the, no. thunder, the thunder have almost won the, the draft lottery. Um, <laughs> Both of our teams came in second, Ryan. Um, just on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> well, we'll see if we actually come in second because we Whoa. might end up coming, up, coming in first. Uh, <clears throat> please, Orlando, make make a dumb decision for the love of God. Like you have your entire existence as a franchise. Anyways, uh, Matt, let's talk about the top 10. Let's talk about the top 10 teams here um, and kind of what they need. Um, you have some, some bullet points we'll talk through and we'll start with number one, the Orlando magic. Yeah. So again, the, the point of this is like, what do they actually have, you know, to build around? So this isn't just like a very specific, like, I think they should take player blah, like trying to like figure out like what they're trying to do. Right. So Orlando has picked number one, 32 and 35. I mean, I think the biggest and most glaring thing to say about Orlando is like, they just need like a real star. Right. Like, yeah, I, I don't even know what you do with Jonathan Isaac at this point. I don't even know what you consider him at this point. Like it, and then you have a bunch of young guys like Suggs and Franz Wagner, who you both drafted last year. Wendell, you traded for, had a nice year. But like, even throwing Jonathan Isaac in there, like none of them are like an an all caps guy for you. So I think that's, you know, the thing with Orlando. Like you don't get the number one pick you know, basically ever. Like you you have to take advantage of this. And you know, there's kind of the top three guys everyone talks about. Whichever one you feel like has the best chance of being, you know, an all caps guy for you, is just the one you're gonna have to take. You need shooting. You can get that in the draft. You can get that in free agency or a trade. Like you can get shooting if that's just something in general you want to add to your team. Like between Jabari Smith out of Auburn, Chet Holmgren out of Gonzaga, and Paolo Bancaro out of Duke, like you kind of just need to take one that you feel like you can run as like a number one or two option through, like for when you do eventually become a playoff team. And to be honest, like that usually means on offense. Defensively, like they're wrong, you you want them to play both ways, but more so pertaining to their offense. And I know who I think that should be. I, I know no, who it should be. I don't I don't know if I believe Orlando like or if I would agree with who Orlando thinks that should be. I think that's the problem. 
and why I don't know what they're going to do, Ryan. It's kind of interesting. I don't know like what is smoke and what's not because it's almost impossible to wade through all of that yeah, this time of yeah. year. But like it seemed like a closed and shut deal once Orlando got you know the number one pick. It seemed like they were set on Jabari, but now it's been like the doors open for Chet, for Paulo. I, I mean, if I'm Orlando, I'm taking Jabari and running. You know, yeah. Like I'm calling in the pick like now, like today. Like, I'm calling the league office being like, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and call this pick in. I don't care. You can find me. I'll see you at next pick 32. What if Adam Silver doesn't actually have COVID? He just he got a call from Orlando and fainted at who they said they were. <laughs> yeah, we're going to take Shane Sharp, number one. <laughs> he just like had a, went into cardiac arrest. Uh, he was like, I, can, can I like take a, like a page out of Stern's book and like intervene here? Um, yeah, I, the, the, I mean, who knows what Orlando is going to do? It's almost been impossible to figure out that for a minute, but I mean, you got to think Jabari, I, just like you said, because of the offense, the shooting, the offense, the size, um, I, I mean, like you kind of think you like Wendell Carter, are you going to keep Mo Bamba? Like, there's a bunch of question marks around this team. And like you said, they just need the one guy. So yeah. whoever that is, just go with it. And with last year's draft, it, it slightly makes me wonder if they're kind of off the super lanky, weird guy thing, you mm. know? Because, like, they did take Jalen Suggs, and maybe it was just to them, like, Jonathan Kaminga was just lower on their board and they just couldn't get there on him. And Franz Wagner's not even like, you know, the super weird long guy either. But I don't know, the fact that they kind of took two players and Suggs and Wagner that is kind of like skill, good athletes, you know, heady players tells me like they don't feel the need to take Chet, even though that's kind of their stereotype from the past. But also that could like tell me they lean completely into like Paolo, who's like right. probably the smartest, most NBA ready, processes the game well from a scoring, passing, multi-perspective of any of the three. So I think with Orlando, like probably taking any of the three isn't like the wrong choice. But Jabari is probably the most right. That's how I need to say it. <laughs> so that's who I would take. That for the record. Um, Moving on to pick number two. Your. The Oklahoma City Thunder. Matt, I am so excited for this pick. And if Sam Presti trades this pick, I'm going (laughs) to slash his tires. I'm going to egg his house. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't even care if I get caught. I'm just going to, I'm going to plant myself on his front yard. There's going to be like a dozen other Thunder fans there with you. Um, I mean, I'll go just like film it. Um, but <laughs> you got to bail uh, me out. Bail me out. Yeah. Um, so Oklahoma City also has picks 12 and 34. They traded off pick number 30 to Denver, as we mentioned on our last podcast. Um, okay. So, first of all, what does Oklahoma City act- actually have to build around? I would say they have two guys, Shea and Josh Giddy. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean there are everyone else is bad. Like, Ludor, it's good. 
Trey Mann like had a really nice rookie season, but like I think this is a philosophical thing. I don't feel like most teams have more than like three guys at a time they should actually be building around, and especially teams in the lottery. Like if you feel like oh we have like five guys, like well then why are you picking a lot? <laughs> you know, it's a so great question. Picking right. So like okay, see so realistically, I think you have two guys right now. You have Shea and Giddy, they're both guards. Very fun guards, can really pass. Shea can really shoot. I think Giddy's going to get there. Defensively, there's some question marks, but, you know, they're at least tall and like Giddy. So, don't talk about defense. Don't talk about defense. It's not a thing. So, with Oklahoma City, I feel like probably what they need most is just a two-way player with good size. Not saying a center, but a two-way player with size. And because this front court, I mean, the small forward, power forward, center position right now is just like, I mean, you can plug Dort into the three and that's fine, you know? But like I said, long-term, you don't you don't have to feel the need to build around that mm. concept. So again, Jabari, Chet, Paolo. To me, the easy decision is just, you know, okay, one of them is going to be gone. So if you want to lean more defense, you take Chet. If you want to lean more offense, you take Jabari or Paolo. And if for some reason Chet's gone and you're picking between Jabari and Paolo, probably take Jabari just because you know the three-point shot is going to be a thing there. Paolo, it probably is, but like I guess it's not for certain. And Paolo's probably best strength is passing. You already have Josh Giddy, so not as concerned about that but like Oklahoma City it's probably in a win-win no matter what I'd say I don't know how you feel about them with that yeah I mean I I definitely have a preference and it would be Jabari I just think that makes the most sense um for Oklahoma City and what what they have um it I think it's interesting. I think Mark Diagonal is trying to build a program in which the there's ball movement, not necessarily something like, um, like uh, Golden State, but maybe something more or less like San Antonio. I think that's the kind of idea that we're wanting to build. Um, you know, like Giddy run the point, let Shea kind of get off the ball some more, let him utilize his scoring ability and ISO scoring um, when possible. So I, I think if you know, Jabari's not there at one or at two, excuse me. Um, I think Paulo could make a lot of sense. I think that would make sense for Giddy pick and rolls. I think there's a big need for a big man to be able to roll with Giddy um, because a lot of his, what makes him special is getting downhill and getting to the rim and utilizing, you know, another person, another offensive player um, to be able to, you know, pass to a shot or swing to another player on the wing. Um, there's, I mean, there's a lot this Oklahoma City roster needs. Um, so any of the three are fine. I just don't, I think I would put Chet like as my last option here. Um, I'm just not as excited about Chet. Um, but especially in Oklahoma City, I don't know like long-term how he fits, especially (laughs) with, you know, you'd be putting almost, it feels like a defensive liability eventually in chat especially if you face like a back down score like if you're facing a deandre is chet going to be able to hold up against someone like that yeah um and so i 
I mean, Giddy and SGA have their own defensive problems on the perimeter. It would be like leaking like the Titanic on defense for Oklahoma City. So let's go ahead and move to pick three and Houston. And then at the end of it, I want to have kind of come back to the, the top three conversation of like the guys. So okay. Houston has 17 and now also 26 after the Christian Wood trade. Uh, hey, at least Oklahoma City has two building blocks. I feel like Houston has one, and it's Jalen Green, which is a very good building block, but it's only one. At this point with Houston, their philosophy should be anyone, all talent, please help. Um, because this is, is rough. I still feel bad for Steven Silas. <laughs> I feel so bad for that guy. What um, he thought he was walking into versus where he's at now. Um, Again, there's the obvious top three, and there's going to be one of them left between Jabari, Chet, and Paolo. So that's probably just the default, Ryan. It's just whoever's left, take them. Yeah. I will say, though, just, just an inkling of a thought that I can't get out of my mind when it comes to Houston. After watching the playoffs, watching you know more perimeter-based player pairings, such as you know Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, or Steph and – Clay slash pool or you know name name whoever you want or you watch Luca try and do it by himself Luca Brunson something yeah something like that is there an intriguing idea about getting a more perimeter based player to pair with Jalen Brown or to with Jalen Green to start building that chemistry for in five years when you are making your playoff push you're you, you have that. So, and what I'm getting at is, does that bring maybe two other guys into this conversation mm. besides the default top three, which would mean bringing in Jaden Ivy or Shaden Sharp? Ivy, obviously the power downhill, super fast guard out of Purdue. Sharp, the former number one overall recruit, you know, Canadian 6'6", super athletic from what we have seen on, you know, other circuits and everything can really shoot the lights out of it and everything. I'm not saying they're going to go with one of those two guys. I'm just saying there, there might be an inkling after watching the playoffs to, especially if they're not in love with the third guy that's left to maybe pivot and go in a different direction. Hmm. I don't, I don't know how you feel about the idea of Jalen Green with another guard rather than just taking one of the three kind of more big, big-ish big guys. I mean, it's kind of a delicate thing, right? Your coach has to be pretty delicate in that. I mean, there were some struggles there even last season with SG and Giddy. I don't know if Oklahoma City's passed those necessarily. You know, one of them has to be willing to get, get off the ball, like, right? Like, one yeah. of them has to be willing to – you know, in those pairings that you listed off, like one of, and even in the Luca situation you gave, like he's not always necessarily willing to get off ball. Um, and that's kind of the tricky thing with like pairing someone like that, like Stephen Clay, like that's like Steph prefer- Steph's preference. Like he doesn't want the ball, right? He wants to be running around the perimeter. And so it's kind of like, I don't know. It's a tricky thing. I, I like the idea of like, if you're not as high on like Chet or Paolo, or if you don't think Jabari is like a great fit, like why not go with 
a player you think has really great has like a awesome ceiling um and can be a really good pairing next to Jalen Green because we know Kevin Porter Jr. isn't probably gonna be the pairing or like you know um sidekick to Jalen Green long term. So I I like the idea. So now kind of wrapping this back to the top three players mentioned just a real quick. So personally I have Jabari one and then Paolo next and then Chet. So the idea for me behind that is we've talked about this, Ryan, like the NBA is an offensive league. It's trending that way. Always has been. It's like at the peak of it right now. It feels like, I just don't tr- trust Chet Holmgren on offense at the NBA level mm. at, at the end of the day. And I I just can't move past it, it feels like. And as special as he might be defensively, as much as he, I don't know, might be Giannis one day, that's just a bet I'm not willing to take at mm. number one and probably not at number two either. If Oklahoma City takes him, Ryan, I'll pray for you. Um, I'm going to be inconsolable again. There's two conditions where I slash Sam Presti's tires. Uh, and then with Jabari and Paolo, like I kind of have them in their own tier above Chet, to be honest. Um, again, one, I'm just going to always lean offense. I'll say my Jabari bit. I think is incredible. I think he can shoot anywhere. I think he can shoot over anyone. I know his like bag isn't super deep for like dribble moves, but like he does enough. Like I don't think he can't dribble. I think that's kind of overblown. And then defensively, I think he can do more than just like be in the right place. You know, like some guys like that's their NBA skills. Like I always know where to be. Jabari yeah. like can lock some guys up. And the way he just moves and the size he has whether it's like a weak side rim protector or just like guarding on the perimeter against threes, fours, maybe even some twos. I, I just think Jabari has the highest potential to be a Paul George, Jason Tatum type of guy. Now I will say my piece on Paulo, because again, he's legitimately my number two prospect and some people he is more three, four five. I just buy the offense I buy the passing. I buy I think I buy the shot even though his percentages weren't great this year at Duke. I think defensively he at least can be in the right spot doing the right thing. Maybe some more than that. I think athletically like he's 6'10" 250 and moves the way he does is pretty impressive. I think he's an incredible passer uh, whether it's low post you know, mid post off the perimeter, running a pick and roll, instead of being the screener on a pick and roll and catching the short, you know, you know, short roll to the free throw line and making a decision. Like, I just think he can kind of do anything. If you can plug him in with any team and he, it wouldn't shock me if he's like 18 points a game next year and then mm. never dips below 21 any single season of his career after that. He, I'm going to be completely honest. Like, again, I have Jabari one. I'm going to stick with it. You could tell me, like, 
we all just completely missed on the Paolo thing. And he's just going to be a star, like an absolute star. Because you can just tell, like, he processes the game like how a superstar does or should. Mm. Now, maybe the defense just never gets there. Maybe the three-point shot never gets there. And he's a top 10 pick, but, you know, not higher than six. And, you know, your redrafts five years from now, but... Yeah, you could. He's not going to be LeBron, but just the style, the body, and the way he thinks and can do lots of things. Like, it's going to be not LeBron, but very LeBron light. Mm-hmm. And I just think if he slips to three, Houston's just going to crap themselves because <laughs> they're either they're going to miss it and not take him. Mm. Or this is going to be like the Luca thing in a couple of years. Like, not the same style of play, but like the. How did we miss? Yeah. Yeah. Like, the other guy might be good, but like, what were we doing? Right. So. You make me feel better about Paulo because I'm like, I mean, like we talked about with Oklahoma City, I've been so locked in at Jabari because, I mean, who doesn't want the next 6'10 guy who can wing, yeah. who can shoot over everyone? Um, I mean, it feels like Paulo would be a really good fit for Oklahoma city. And like I said, I just worry about Chet, you know, his body holding up against yeah. some of the bigger, big guys. Um, and I don't know, like, I, I, I guess I won't be super upset if Oklahoma city goes the Chet route. I just think that Paulo or Jabari are like, you, like you've said, are just like clearly one and two. Yeah. And I think one last separator for me is like, I always think about what position are these guys? And to me, like they're really all fours, but then I also think like the next step of like, okay, what's their next position? Like, what else could they play? And Jabari and Paolo, I feel like can be so skilled on offense. They could play some three. Mm. Like they could slide down to the five and like small ball lineups, but like they could realistically actually play some three and it'd be fine. And they're just big. But like Chet, I don't ever see him playing the three at the NBA level. Yeah. Like he's he feels like he's gonna have to slide down to the five, which is gonna require strength, which is possible to do that. But at the end of the day, if you're gonna make me positionally take someone who's either a three four or a four five, I'm just gonna lean to three four. Yeah. You know, and if you can go three, four, five, like all those, even better. But if I'm, you know, saying out realistically, like two positions, I'm going to take the forward combo, not the big man combo. So it's fair. That's just my philosophy. All right, let's a little quicker. To um, yeah, Sacramento. Yikes. Um, well, Ryan. <laughs> just the dumpster <laughs> fire that is. I can't help. Um, like, so they have picks 37 and 49 in the second round. Um, I guess you can view Fox, Mitchell, and Sabonis as their core, Ryan. But after the Halliburton trade, I don't know. You could tell me Sabonis is their only core guy. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Um, you could tell me they take another guard here if they don't think Davion Mitchell's an actual starter for them long term or if they just don't want to keep De'Aaron Fox long-term. Mm. 
you could tell me they're going to pick a big who can pair well with Sabonis because Sabonis, like, we know he just can't handle the five on defense. Um, and I guess if you don't want to keep Rashawn Holmes around, then that's what you could do. You can't really plan around Rashawn Holmes, though, to be honest. Um, to be honest, probably selecting a forward is what makes the most logical sense. But I have zero confidence the Kings are going to do something logical. So <laughs> that kind of goes out the window. Probably take another two-way guard. <laughs> they, you know, they could just trade the pick for all I care. Um, it might just be the smartest move. Just so that way they don't make a mistake. But I don't know. I think Jabari, Chet, Jay Nivey, Shaden Sharp would all be good options. I didn't write down Paolo just because I think him and Sabonis would probably clash too much. Mm. Or maybe not even clash, but like they wouldn't be able to maximize their skills together. So you know, pretty so much. Bonus anyway. is used to that, so that's you know yeah. maybe it'll be Paolo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know there are guys there. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know what to tell Sacramento fans. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to mock to them. <laughs> I I think they should still be in just whoever you think is the best player. If they're available, take them. Mm. Like and just like position, you know, be damned at this point. Like Jabari, Chet, Paolo, there, fine, just take them. Yep. You want Jaden Ivy, take Jaden Ivy. If you want Shaden Sharp, take Shaden Sharp. If you want to do something even more different than that, God bless you. It's probably a bad idea, but okay. <laughs> but I, Are we I gonna get know. like an Anthony Bennett scenario with Sacramento where they panic yeah. pick someone like who's not one of those guys? Hey. <laughs> just take someone that's like 12th on the board and it's just like why we liked him he was our guy you couldn't like, trade okay. back like four spots and still get him <laughs> i i have no confidence in sacramento we've said this before tyrese halberton was probably the best player they had traded him for sabonis who's kind of an all-star he's basically the last all-star every other year so that was a decision I'm ready to move on, Ryan. To be honest, <laughs> let's uh, yeah, let's just move on to Detroit because I feel like these two teams are dumpster fire and pair well together. So, all right. So Detroit also has picked 46, similar to Houston. They really just have one guy. It's Cade. I like Sadiq Bay, but like, he's versatile enough to where like he can play the two, he can play the three. You don't really have to worry about him. But Cade's your one guy. That's why I think like they could draft basically anyone because mm. Cade can play multiple spots and it's fine. Um, I'd be focusing on a two-way forward for them or another on-ball legitimate creator. So basically any of the guys we've mentioned so far will do. <laughs> Whether that's Jabari, Chet, Paolo, if any of them slip, take them. They're going to be the two-way forward. Um, Ivy or Sharp would be like an on-ball shot creator. Mm. Maybe Sharp a little less, but he's a 6'6 super athlete who can shoot, so that's good with Cade Cunningham. Yeah, I'm fine with just taking any of those guys. If you're Detroit, don't play it safe. Don't take Keegan Murray or someone like that. Like You're still swinging for big upside. Take big upside swings. Any of the top five left, take them and just be happy. It feels like Shaden Sharp 
would be a guy that would make sense for Detroit, from yeah. what I understand of Shane Sharp and knowing that Detroit needs everything. Because, um, I mean, like you said, Cade's the one guy. Yeah. And just get, get, get I think we saw the second half of the year with Cade. Just get him any sort of help. Right. And like, he right. already by himself was making Detroit look like halfway competent the second half of the year. So just give him someone else. And um, yeah, that's why I'm cool with any of those picks. I, I think there's a lot of talk about like how Houston at three, like lucked out, like, Oh, just take like whatever the top three is left. i kind of feel the same about Detroit. Like just take whoever you want of the top five is left and just like mm. be happy. Like, cause that's kind of where the draft falls off after not like falls off like hard in a bad way, but like the top tier guys are probably gone after five. Mm. Unless Sacramento does something crazy, which eh, well, high likelihood. Uh, we can move on to, I think, number six. Pick number yeah. six now at Indiana. Yeah, very weird having Indiana this high, right? Um, yeah. So they, all have, they also have pick 31 and 60, mm. similar to Sacramento. No idea what they're going to do. Um, I know Rick Carlisle, not typically a draft young guys type um so organization not really a draft young guys type so you could tell me they're going to reach for more of an nba ready player uh they could draft one through four because outside of halliburton i don't really view anyone else on that team as a true building block <laughs> um they have a lot of competent pieces you know like miles Steve turner Martin, malcolm brogdon miles turner yeah you can have guys but like no one that I feel like you have to draft around. So like, mm. let's just assume they take a forward just because they don't actually have great size. Now that they've traded Sabonis. Um, so just throwing out some names, Jeremy Sohan out of Baylor, um, kind of erratic. Uh, Ryan trivia. Where was Jeremy Sohan born? He was oh. one that had like all the funky colored hair for Baylor, you know? Uh, from the great I, I, state of Oklahoma. Oh God, um, I'm gonna throw out like I don't know Woodward, Oklahoma, or something. Guyman. Oh uh, my God, yeah, Guyman. Yeah. Um, his parents were at Panhandle State University. <laughs> <laughs> so Oklahoma's um, wild, man. There's yeah, there's a whole backstory of Jeremy Sohan that we don't have time for, but there's there's a lot there. Played for some Polish national team stuff. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, so they could be looking at Sohan, Keegan Murray out of Iowa, Tari Eason out of LSU, maybe Usman Jang out of Australia. Um, played in the NBL this past year. So I don't know what they're going to do, to be honest. They could trade the pick. You could tell me they do like a super deal, trade Malcolm Brogdon. Mm. I don't know. I don't really care, but <laughs> I don't think they're going to be a patient team. Mm. I don't think that's Rick Carlisle's MO. So you think of the top 10, this Indiana is the likely trade out of the spot? It's, uh, to me, they either need to trade way up or trade yeah down. Mm. Mm. That's, that's kind of where I'd be with them. Um, I know teams like Washington are really trying to move up, for example. But I don't know if number six is high enough or if Washington, for example, wants to go higher. Um, but yeah, they'd be a 
potential trade team. Hmm. Much like Portland at number seven. We yep. talked about them last week because, you know, Damian Lillard. And I don't know, Ryan. Why did the Damian Lillard being traded from Portland trade talk stop? Because <laughs> um, the trade deadline passed and then he got injured, right? Um, yeah. I just, but... I think I think you're on to something there, though. I don't think, you know, is Portland still the long-term destination for him? I'm uh, some trade around number four and De'Aaron Fox for Damian Lillard, who says no. <laughs> uh, obviously, there has to be more to it, but he, hey, and then Portland, just like we have four, seven, and, re- and we are rebuilding. Uh, probably not going to happen, Ryan, but crazier things have happened. Yeah, uh, it's true. So, all right, Portland. They just need everything again. It's that. Um, <laughs> I don't. Know. I, I guess there's the Anthony Simons question too, Ryan. How much do you pay Anthony Simons? Oh my god! I don't. I mean, he had like a great two weeks and then got injured. Like how? I don't. Know. We we have no idea. And like I don't know. They have Josh Hart. This roster is so just like out of whack. I think you're right. They just need any 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 help. Any help. Yeah. Um, for the record, I think Anthony Simons is going to get like a hundred million dollar contract. So that's like the Fred Van Fleet contract, yeah. right? And he's not as good as Fred Van Fleet. Um, again, if I'm Portland here, I'll just say it so we can move on. I'm looking at just a forward spot at this point, just because they have no size. Like mm-hmm. they have Nurkic in the middle, and then they have guards, like tiny guards. So I love Josh Hart. Josh Hart playing power forward is fun, <laughs> but Josh Hart playing power forward is not sustainable. So all those guys I listed for Indiana are the same list for Portland. Um, unless they're able to trade up and go for more of the superstar forwards. But I just don't know if they're going to be able to get there. I don't know if anyone in that top group wants Damian Lillard. Oh, hold on. John Wall and three for Damian Lillard, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Hang up the phone, Kev. Throw the phone out the window. Get out of here with that. Uh, I mean, like their their forward spot right now is like Reggie Perry, Perry, Trendon Watford, Justice Winslow, Nasir Little when he's Nasir Little. He's yeah, uh, Drew Eubanks. I mean, there's not Elijah Hughes. There's Greg Brown. There, Ryan. Nothing. The cupboard is bare. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Eric Blitzo is a contract. <laughs> He's a contract. He is a piece of paper. That is it. Um, oh, exactly. I it feels like they have like maybe four NBA players on their roster right now. How did this happen? Oh, yeah, that's right. They traded everything to the Clippers at the trade deadline. Now I remember. Yeah. What a disaster. And, and CJ McCollum to the Pels for nothing. <laughs> Josh Hart. That's who they traded. Oh my gosh. I love Josh Hart. I, love Josh Hart. I mean, he's and a good player. Pick number eight is New Orleans. Who have Zion, Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, all these fun rookies they just had. And they have the number eight pick. You're Portland. You have one pick higher and Damian Lillard. And that's it. <laughs> like, you just did a trade with them. Like, 
it's so wild to me that this is how um, shook out um, for Portland and then juxtaposed to New Orleans now. Um, New Orleans has picks 41, 47, 52. I expect them to probably package some of those just because there's no reason to have all those second round picks. Mm-hmm. Um, in a good way, I don't know what they're going to do. We talked about this on the last pod, Ryan. They can do whatever the hell they want to do. Right. They can kind of take like an, uh, like a, just take a swing. Like that's yeah. the biggest thing. Like they don't need someone to produce right away. Shaden Sharp slips, just take him. Who cares? Yeah. If Jaden Ivy slips, take him. Like it doesn't doesn't matter. Just take whoever you want. Um, I mean, I would personally just be on the philosophy of if you're not trading the pick, which they might, just draft the highest upside player that's somewhere between six four and six nine. Just do it. Just see what happens. Um, yeah, unless you're trading out or trading way up. Because in theory, Ryan, if they feel like they could get Chet Holmgren, you could package eight, Trey Murphy, all those Lakers picks, or however many Mm. of them you want, and be like, we're going to go trade with Oklahoma City and we're going to draft Chet Holmgren. Mm. Because that's like someone, one, it'd be really funny to see him standing next to Zion Williamson. (laughs) But (laughs) two, actually, like skill-wise would work. So... I don't know. I I don't know. And I think New Orleans is the most fun team in the top eight because it's a world of possibilities, but they're mm-hmm. still good. Yeah. Orlando has OKC, Houston have a world of possibilities, but they're all bad. So who cares? Hey, 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 hey. We're bad intentionally, okay? <laughs> There's a difference yeah. between those other two. <laughs> but New Orleans might be good. Yeah. And that's yeah. cool. Yeah, I I mean, it's interesting, like, not necessarily, like, we've seen teams mess this up before, like the Suns, for example, where they don't necessarily need a guy, and they try to get cute, and then they don't have that guy on their roster two seasons from now. So, like, with, (laughs) well, like, that's the thing with, like, New Orleans, like, you hit the nail on the head, take the highest upside, but, like, Two years from now, are we going to be evaluating this pick, criticizing them because they didn't take, you know, someone who went to Washington at ten? Um, yeah, I, maybe it was more NBA ready, and just like, yeah, we could have used one more two-way, you know, Ochai Abaji type, just ready to step in guy. Right. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic to watch with New Orleans if they end up staying eight. Yeah, revisionist history, Ryan, gets the best of all of us, though. That so. is a great point. That is a great point. Oh, yeah. Hindsight is twenty twenty, Matt. You know we can get all the cliche sayings out now. They're all there. Um, <laughs> okay, move on. New Orleans okay. fun. Don't know what they're going to do though. Um, number nine, San Antonio. San Antonio, another team with a lot of picks. Again, they've got to do something with some of these picks. You can't keep them mm. all, um, especially after how much they've been picking the last couple of years. Also. So San Antonio is nine. They also have 20, 25, and 38. Um, let's just start with the number nine. I think they have to absolutely nail this, Ryan, because they are stuck in mediocrity. And it doesn't mean I don't like some of the players they have on their roster currently, but they're stuck. Um, I think they need to focus on like a forward center. Mm. They, 
they just keep taking guards, Ryan, and it's borderline pissing me off now. I mean, at least they unloaded one of them at the trade deadline. Well, like, yes, true. You have DeJounte Murray. You just drafted Josh Primo last year. You have drafted Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, Lonnie Walker. You have to make a decision on are you keeping him or not because he's hitting restricted free agency. You have, and then you had Derek White, which, yeah, you're right, you finally offloaded. So you had six, now you're down to five guys that honestly are ones and twos. Maybe Vassell and Johnson can play some three realistically, so that's good. But like, you need some size, like not just like six, five. So for them, I think you've got to either focus on you've got to get the Pirtle replacement if you just don't want to keep Pirtle around long term. Or you need someone who can legitimately play the four for you mm-hmm. and still bring the versatility and the defense and the passing that like they want all their guys to have on offense. And San Antonio is like, we can teach anybody to shoot. doesn't matter. So like I get what they've been doing, but this feels like the one where they have to pivot and take an actual player with size here. Um, so, like, if they want the center, a couple guys we haven't brought up at all, Mark Williams out of Duke, um, Jalen Duran out of Memphis are both true centers. Mm-hmm. Any of the forwards we listed, like for Indiana, some of them, will, one or two of them at least, will still be available. Maybe that's your guy. I, I just can't see San Antonio taking another guard. I, I would just lose my mind because at that point, like, there's just no minutes for him. Right. And it doesn't feel like Primo got, like, to your point, like, I don't think Primo played a ton this past yeah, it was year. Yeah, just the, kind of the end-ish of the season. They send him down to the, um, what are they now, the Austin Spurs or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Like, all season, which I think is fine. I don't think it's a bad idea. Just, you know, like, is that what you want to do again? Right. Yeah. I mean, they only, on their roster right now, they only have two centers. Um so they definitely got to figure something out there. Um, and you got to take advantage of, you know, Pops last season, potentially. DeJounte Murray is up and coming. Um, I, I feel like, you, like you said, you, they just have to nail this pick. And it's, I mean, we're getting into the territory now of nine and 10, where it's just really tough to nail a pick like this. Yeah, these are the spots in the draft you just hate to be, especially for teams that like need to get better. Like in San Antonio, right. like said it as kind of my first point for them. Like they are stuck in mediocrity. They they have to find someone that can be a difference maker for them. Like Dejounte Murray, like had a nice step up year. I don't know if I'm counting on Dejounte Murray to keep stepping. Like <laughs> there's only yeah, his ceiling's so only so high. It's not like yeah. he's you know one of the super duper stars of the league. I don't think he ever will be. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, San Antonio is an interesting spot. Kind of like Washington at number 10. They yeah. they've been stuck in mediocrity too, Matt. Yeah, and this is the last one we'll talk about. That's why pick 56 doesn't really matter. Um yeah. I, Ryan, they've already come out, like their GM's already said they don't really want a rookie point guard starting next to Brad Beal next year. If well, Brad Beal like, is there. Point guard is like Ish Smith right now. So yeah. he needs <laughs> someone. Um, 
so they they've said like they're kind of looking for more free agency like that's the plan or trades mm. all let's entertain the idea of a point guard though in the draft um if i'm the wizards and if they're determined to take a point i would either be trying to move up five or six spots or move back five or six spots you know we've talked about Jaden ivy up at the top again if he's still there at four sacramento's looking to move out can you offer 10 Kuzma and a future pick mm-hmm. and get Jaden Ivey. I would probably do it if I'm Washington. Um, or if you just are gung-ho about getting a point guard but don't want to reach, Ty Ty Washington out of Kentucky is another name that you could probably trade down a few spots to like Charlotte or something and, and get the guy you want still. So um, Charlotte has 13 and 15. So I don't know. If that's their focus, that's probably what I'd do is try and move. If they're not point guard focused, though, I mean, I feel like they have a million power forwards and centers. So please don't do that again. Uh, I think a two way wing, you know, a combo guard, maybe six four to six eight is probably what they're looking for. Um, a few names we haven't mentioned yet um, Ben Matherin out of Arizona power wing who can also really freaking shoot it johnny davis led a terrible wisconsin team this year to a three seed really good point of attack defender can also create dyson daniels out of australia and the g league ignite super fantastic defender shots of work in progress but there's potential there with the offense and the passing still or literally anyone else we've really talked about up to this point besides the centers um, throughout this, so just please don't take a center or a power forward. Like, <laughs> I mean, they. I, it looks like their roster. It, it could be the uh, most like trade. Like, there's a lot of good veteran playoff guys you could play. Like Kuzma, you know, you know, you're pretty confident playing. Yeah, KCP. KCP. I mean, Thomas Bryant's not. You know, he's younger, but he's not a terrible. I wonder if there's a team in LA you could trade those guys to that could help them. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I'll have to see. Maybe call LeBron. Um, and, you know, you mentioned it like Ish, Ish Smith. Like there's, there's options here for them to kind of, I mean, there's huge contracts on this roster too. So there's, well, there's, there's a the Porzingis thing too. They, right. I don't know what you do with him. Right. They have Rui, who's going into the final year. You got to figure his deal out. They've drafted Avdia in the top 10 a few, couple years back. Kispert was yeah, last year. Kispert, yeah, in the lottery last year. Like, either you've got to get these guys playing and like focal point of your offense more, or like you need to start, yeah, maybe moving some of these guys. But. None of them are game changers. I think that's just what I've determined Washington. They don't have any game changers outside of Brad Beal. And I don't know if you can even find that at number 10, but maybe maybe you can. Maybe someone slips. I mean, it, if a Brad Beal trade were to happen, could it happen on draft day? Could Washington move like keep 10 and move up to, like I don't know, four? Four, five, six, somewhere in there. Yeah, you could tell me four, six. 
eight are all in play, I would say, for Brad Beal. The problem is, like, can't even say, like, Portland, because, like, where would Portland trade? Like, <laughs> right. Like, seven? Yeah, no thanks. Yeah. Like, I'm not... Or, like, up. Detroit trade. One, I don't think they would want to, but, like, what do they even have to trade? Right. And that's the problem with so many of these bad teams. And what's kind of going through this, a theme was, like, how do you not have any assets? <laughs> so you're an NBA franchise. Like, what happened? I, I bet it's really frustrating for a lot of these GMs that are like, you know, like New Orleans and Oklahoma City have all these stash of picks. It's like, where the, like, wh- like San Antonio has what, three first round picks, but like outside of that, they're not getting, like, uh, they didn't get a ton for Kawhi. Like, yeah. uh, it, you know, like you kind of go through the list, like, New Orleans might be the team that could just like make some ridiculous offer, like you're saying, and just shoot. Well, and they have Milwaukee picks from the Drew trade too. Right, exactly. They have two two picks, two sets of picks. So um I don't know. I Portland they they seem to spend everything all the time. Well, that's what like, I'm like, how does Portland not have anything, Ryan? They literally have I mean like finally some picks moving forward like once you get to like 2024 like they have their picks but like they've just been in this for years no picks just send them off like you know handed out candy and this is what it gets you right right and when the lottery odds don't fall your way now you're like really desperate and you trade cj for nothing right yeah, I it, I don't know. The top 10 teams are interesting cuz like the 7 8 9 10 like everyone wants to move up but they don't have enough to move up without giving up the stuff they want to move up to like build around. Yeah. And at that point it's like well that deal's not going to happen. Right. Something's got to give. Right. And that's probably the biggest thing fans probably don't realize if like their team is like well why couldn't we like well what do you have to offer like that's what there's 28 other teams competing against you probably and probably five that realistically want to that have a better offer than you like at all times you have to sweeten the pot there's yeah i mean there's it's gonna be an interesting draft i i think it's gonna be uh if i had to guess it feels like a lot of these teams are gonna move whether they want to or not i feel like it's gonna be a very trade heavy draft yeah from what i've heard is just value of like one team values this guy one team values that guy Mm. it's just all over the board Mm. and we we can talk about from the shade and sharps to the ben matherin johnny ivy or um what was i saying johnny davis like it's just all over the board, Ryan. So, like, you may not even be considering a guy. And then someone's like, we want to trade up for that guy. And you're like, okay. <laughs> like, okay, sure. Yeah. Like, go for it. So, I think that's something that I've heard a lot of from people that seem to know what they're talking about. And maybe trades don't happen just because you can't agree on the deal. But a lot of differing evaluations for this draft. Outside, mm-hmm. outside of kind of the top three, let's say. Top four. Yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm excited to watch it. I'm excited to see what's going to happen in this draft. Matt, do you have any other thoughts before wrapping up episode 141? You know, 
at least talking about the draft made it a, a bit easier to deal with the pot. If we had done just a final spot today, I would have procrastinated it. <laughs> Broken down. Hey, yeah, you know, it's okay. I, like I said at the top of the podcast, the Celtics are not the last team that's going to lose to the Warriors. And I'd rather be Boston first. right now than Philly. I'll put. I'll say that. Just that is that. That might be the point. Yeah, I just keep reminding myself of that. <laughs> Philly or the Knicks, right? Yeah. Um, or the Lakers. I speaking of the draft. I mean, Tatum went three. Yeah, so the top three. Yeah. So Paolo might happen to Paolo. Is I I'm a. It's we're gonna look back at this draft and. Um, you know, see a lot of things, and I hopefully, hopefully, we're not talking bad about Oklahoma City and how they're still picking the top three in five years. But um, <laughs> well, it might be, it might be other teams' picks they're using. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> the late or the Clippers. Um, that's it for episode 141. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you back for episode 142. Yeah. Oh,